0: at me <laughs> hello okay all right so So you don't have to be a new believer in order for you to go through this class, okay? Because we're diving deeper into the things that we already know and looking at what the Word says on the concepts like salvation, like mercy, like faith, like love. And that's what we're doing. And there is homework, guys, which is exciting, which means that you get to go home and dig deeper on the things that you have learned here. And once you do your homework, we'd love for you to submit it. It's all in this workbook on where you submit it to. It's discipleship at newsongpeople.com, and my friend at the back there, Daniel Wheeler, is the one who manages that, and then he tells me, man, only one person submitted. What's going on with your class? And then I'll come back and give you the, oh, you guys. So just work with us and, and and submit your homework. We'd love to read it. Um, I need to do a better job of responding to it, but we'd love to read and know what you're getting and what you're understanding. Okay, so this is week one without much further ado, and today I have the blessed awesomeness of having a good friend of mine, Justin Haggard, and he's going to teach on salvation. So he graduated uh, ORU 2015. So he was like, hermeneutics, what? I know what hermeneutics means. So he's going to throw down on salvation for us, and then I'll come after him, and we'll talk a little bit about faith, okay? Sounds good? Okay, any questions? Okay, now I will tell you about this workbook. This workbook works if you use it by putting notes into it if you're just going to use it as a book it's not really that awesome because it only has few things so you want to put your notes in here and then it becomes a book that you have written concerning the subjects in it so that you can then read and study it at a later time okay all right without much further ado let's pray real quickly or do you want to do it you got okay let's pray father we thank you for this time and this moment that you've blessed us with and i pray that even as we get into the word and as we begin to study i just pray your holy spirit is with us because so we know that we don't know everything cannot know everything and as we humbly approach you we know that god we need our hearts to be in the right place to receive from you what you have for us I pray that our minds are not going to play tricks on us and that oh, I know this or I've heard this, but be open to your Holy Spirit to just write his story upon the hearts of our minds and so that we get into that deep place and know for sure the things that we already know, but being so grounded that we are never moved. I thank you for Justin and I pray for him and I just pray, God, that you just with, be with him, give him the words to speak and not only the words, but how to deliver them. We honor you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: So, like he said, my name is Justin Haggard. Uh, I moved here to start the church with Pastor Josh and Pastor Sarah. Um, I did graduate ORU in 2015 with my undergrad, and then my gradua- I grad- graduated from uh, Liberty University in Virginia, both in theology. But I'm currently a teacher at Deer Creek, uh, fifth grade, so, cool. no, I'd, I'd have done a lot of stuff in my life. But, um, So that's a little bit about me, Um, so you don't see like, oh, there's a guy with tattoos and just sitting up here, and he he doesn't look like he should be teaching. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and I graduated in 2015, but I actually graduated high school in 2006, so I mean, yes, it's still young, but uh, I'm not, like, graduated in 2015 young. Uh, I went in the military right after high school for about five, six years, something like that, and then went to college after. Because college is expensive all right so just I want to set the stage since this is the first week that this is not a sermon this is not gonna be I'm not trying to tug on your feels I'm trying to get some information in your heads and kind of just start your thinking and start getting you guys to just think of how you read scripture think of what salvation actually is and the concept of salvation and how it applies to us. So, I'm not going to be walking around just trying to be big and loud. I'm going to present the information for you guys to build your theology on. Okay, so I am going to be reading a lot. So don't judge me, but take notes and uh, make sure you're paying attention. If you guys have any questions, uh, please hold them till the end. I may or may not know them, because that's a good thing. I got a good resource called the Bible. I could just look it up for you. All right, so I'm going to go through this and talk about basically the who, what, when, where, why, how about salvation. Like, what, what is salvation? Who's it for? Everything you need to know to basically build upon from here on out. Because a lot of people hear salvation, they just think, all right, I'm saved. But they don't truly understand what it is or, or who is who's it for and all that good stuff. Okay, so as I said in this, this is not a one-stop shop that explains everything, uh, but it's a foundation to build your theology upon. But in in order for you to grow and understand more, you must dive into the word on your own. So don't just take my word for it. Um, You guys also have to take this, do your homework, and don't just stop at the homework, just keep researching. Because I mean, you can never never learn everything that God has for you. You can always see God, always learn more from him, and things always change. The same scripture could mean something else to you one day, and then it changes the next based on how God wants you to interpret it. I mean, it means the same thing, but how it applies to your life may change. All right, so what is salvation? So so I'm going to give you the actual definition of salvation as it pertains to not-Christianity, and tell you basically, like, if we have salvation, then we're being saved from something. And so we're going to get into that. So, the definition of salvation found in the dictionary, not a Christian dictionary, is preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. So, that's the actual definition of salvation. And so, this definition uh, refers to physical harm. However, the salvation referred to throughout the Bible is an like eternal salvation being delivered from harm, ruin, or loss, but spiritually okay so the actual definition pertains to physical, but it could also, if you apply it to Christianity, it goes directly into salvation because we're being protected or saved from harm, ruin, or loss, which we will get into so these definitions um, truly point to basically the root of the need of salvation. So from what and who are we being saved from? So if our spirits are being saved or delivered from harm, ruin or loss, what does that mean? Who are we being delivered from? And this is where a lot of new believers and even believers that maybe haven't dug into it, maybe they've gotten confused. See a lot of us uh, think we're being saved from the devil, but that's actually not true. So what are we truly being saved from is the wrath of God. So we are being saved from the wrath of God. The devil's not the one punishing us. He's just trying to get us to that punishment. Okay, so, and that wrath of God is actually the judgment that we rightly deserve before we are saved. So Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. I'm going to read a couple more scriptures to just back this up so you're not like, just thinking I made this stuff up. (laughs) Romans 5.9 says, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved uh, by him from the wrath of God. John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And that's right after John 3, 16, so you know it's, it's good stuff. <laughs> All right, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is the eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see that the devil is not the one we are being saved from. It is actually God and his righteous, meaning it is right. He has the right to judge us and bring his wrath upon us because if you are not saved, you will expect. Experience the wrath of God, and that's what we're actually being saved from. Which a lot of people think like, "Oh, that's so mean." It's like, well, well, we'll get into it. I'm gonna ruin it. All right, let's keep going. (laughs) So, what the devil does is he tries to get you to the wrath of God. He's trying to get you separated from God. He wants you. He as you all hear when you're growing up. He lies, kills, steals, destroys with the ultimate goal of trying to separate us from God. So that is his mission. That's why he tempts us. That's why he does what he does. It's not so that he can get you down there just so he can bully you around. It's so that he can get you separated from God by uh, actually experiencing the wrath of God and not necessarily going down to heaven and just getting poked by the devil by a big stick every once in a while. (laughs) So the devil does not want to get... uh, He does not want to get any of uh, you to give God any of the glory that God deserves. He wants God to fail, which is why he tries to separate us from God. He figures that if he does not get the worship that he needs, because we all know that the devil, that's why he fell from heaven, is because he wanted the worship for himself. Um, He thinks that if he's not getting the worship, then neither should God. So he wants others to be joined in his misery. But the good news that we all know is that Jesus provided us a way, a way to get get out of the punishment or the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. So it may seem harsh, especially to new believers, but it's a reality. In order for us to be in heaven with God, we have to be completely perfect, because this is important. This really stuck out to me when I was researching this, because evil cannot exist in the presence of true good, and we will never be good enough on our own. And this is why we need saving, because we can't save ourselves. And so goodness can, cannot exist anywhere. True goodness, like biblical goodness, godly goodness, cannot have any, any hint of evil, or else it's no longer good. So in order for us to be with him, there can be no evil at all. And we essentially are evil, because anything that goes against who God is and what God is and what he says is evil, because it's not good. And so, luckily, we have a scapegoat, the ultimate scapegoat. And by definition, in the dictionary, a scapegoat is a person who is blamed for the wrongdoing, mistakes, or faults of others, which is exactly what Jesus did for us on Good Friday. He's taken all the blame, all the guilt, all the shame, sickness, and everything that is evil of all time, all at once, for us, And also for God, because God wants to be with us. And this couldn't happen if we weren't uh, saved through his sacrifice. So what Jesus did on the cross is he took all that guilt from past, present, and future all at one time. Because they know what's going to happen. And they know what they're going to have to take the blame for. So he took everything, even your future sins, on the cross for you so that we could be made right with God and bring us back into relationship with God. So, Jesus, who was a perfect um, person, he came down here, he had to lay down his godliness and live a life that, because if he had his godliness here, then it would discount what he did for us, but he came here as a human, powerless, and actually lived his life sinless, which, I have a hard time living a day without some form of sin, whether it's greed or gluttony, because I eat a lot, but (laughs) something. I mean, we all, even if you just look at someone, like, man, I wish I had that. It's like, great, you just coveted. (laughs) All right, so Jesus uh, was perfect. And when he, when we go to see God, so what? when we go to judgment, because everyone's going to face judgment, just because you're saved doesn't mean you're not going to go get judged. But the good thing is when we go to that judgment, He's God's going to see us through the lens of Jesus. So when He sees us through Him, yes, we have to answer for what we've done. But then when He gets to our sentence, He's going to say not guilty, because of what Jesus did. He's seeing us. He literally says, "I choose to forget." So He says in Isaiah forty three twenty five. This one's pretty legit. I love this one. Isaiah forty three twenty five. I I am the one who blots your uh, transge- transgressions out for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Literally, he, God is f- forcing himself to completely forget about your sins. He, like, it's not that he's just like, oh, I'm going to just forgive them. He's like, no, I f- I'm going to forget them. It says, I will not remember your sins. Not, I'll forgive you, but I'm still going to remember it. He's like, I'm not going to remember it. Like He's completely getting it out of his mind. So whenever he sees you, you are perfect because of Jesus. So when we accept Jesus as our Savior and make him the Lord of our lives, we are saved from perfectly righteous wrath of God that we truly deserve. Many, if not all of you guys, should be saved, right? I'm assuming if you're here, you're saved. If not, we can fix that. (laughs) Um, But just to be clear, um, and in case you had any doubt, because even i've been saved my whole life i didn't start walking with god really until i was like 27 but i guess 24. um but even now every once in a while i was like am i truly saved because it's like you don't want any doubt (laughs) so this is what i I researched okay so who's salvation for how do we know that we know that we're truly saved and we're going to go to heaven and Basically, we're going to get into, can you lose it? And so we're going to find that out, because a lot—that's a huge debate around theology—is, well, can you lose your salvation? It's like, all right, well, let me research it, and I found the answer. Don't worry, you guys are good. i will i will i uh, will reassure you some. <laughs> all right, so to to keep it short and sweet. Uh, this section is pretty easy. So who's it for? Obviously, everyone. <laughs> So Acts 10, 34 through 43 says, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Uh, You know the message God sent to the people in Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Uh, Emphasis on the all part. Uh, You know what has happened throughout the province of judea beginning in galilee after the baptism of john or baptism that john preached how god anointed jesus of nazareth with the holy spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because of uh, because god was with him i have a lot of scripture in this so stay with me it's good though because scripture is good All right, so we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him up on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses from God, uh, or whom God already had chosen. By us, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead... He commanded us to preach the people and to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge over the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So I wanted to emphasize that the all the word all in everyone, because every time you see all, I researched it in, all always means all. It never means a little bit. It just means all, everyone. And uh, the word that they actually use is PAS. I'm not sure how to say it. It's probably PAS or pass. I studied Hebrew, not Greek, sorry. Um, which means all, each, every, any, the whole, basically, like there's no way you can interpret all other than all. So now that we know that's what salvation is, What we're being saved from and who it's for, we need to talk about um, how people become truly saved. Truly. Okay? So, we started with basically, we're trying to get everything that involves salvation and like we want the information about salvation. Yes, this is going to be good and it's going to apply to us spiritually, but. I mainly want you guys to just truly understand what salvation is, who's it for, and everything that involves salvation. So, if someone comes up to you and asks, and obviously you've researched on your own a little bit, you'll be able to say, okay, if they say, what is salvation? You'll be like, oh, glad you asked. Because sometimes you say, what is salvation? We're like, well, I just, when I die, I go to heaven. (laughs) Like, I want it to be more than that. God wants you to know more than that. So, how does one get saved? So this is going to seem pretty basic, but just to cover it, um, in case some of you guys might be new to the faith. Um, first, you have to know that you need saving, because you have to know that, <laughs> that you're not just going about this life, and then when you die, you just automatically go to heaven, or some people still believe that if you die, it's just over. So you need to know that you need saving. So you must recognize that you are a sinner. And because everything we do falls short of God's standard, it is not good enough. So you must believe that you need to be saved from the just wrath of God. So you must also believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who was sent to the earth, uh, lived a sinless life, and who took er, took our place on the cross, dying for our sins, and that he was resurrected. So now that you believe, the next step would be to confess, right? We all learned that growing up. All right, you believe, now you must confess. So Romans ten nine. Romans ten nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. OK, it all starts by confessing your sins before God and admitting that you need a savior. Because God knows that you're a sinner. And he knows that you know. But he wants you to admit it before him. Okay? So that we can hear it for ourselves and uh, from ourselves. So not only are we hearing it for ourselves that we are a sinner, but we're hearing it from ourselves. So we're recognizing, yes, I am a sinner. It's like when you have kids and you're like, I know what you did, but I'm going to make you say it. You're going to say, I right, what would you do? And he's like, even though I know you just definitely flushed something down the toilet that shouldn't be down there. <laughs> Like, all right, what did you do? You're like, okay, now that you know it, you know that that's wrong, right? Yes, I know that's wrong. So it's providing an ownership to your salvation other than just getting salvation. He wants you to own it and know like, okay, I am a sinner. I need a savior. So the Bible says in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, 21, the death and life are in the power of the tongue. So in order to be saved, brought into life, that's part of the confession. So when you confess your sins and accept Jesus as your savior, you're literally putting the verse into practice. Because you confess your sins, your, or your death essentially, your old self dies and your new life in Christ begins. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So God's word has weight, which is why you have to speak it. So they created the entire cosmos, or he, created the entire cosmos, and he created us in his image. So don't you think that our words might have weight too? So if we're created in his image, and God obviously has the power to create everything with his words, then our words should mean something as well. And this is besides the fact, but did you know um, they did a research and they've tried to find out what every single thing, all matter is made up of, is this thing called the God particle. And the God particle is actually a vibration. And what's a vibration? Obviously, what we speak is a vibration itself. So speaking is vibrating your vocal cords and putting essentially air into words, producing a sound. And so I thought, I was like, as much as they try to disprove God, what they do is they even further prove of his existence by saying everything is made up of vibrations. It's like, well, yeah, well, God spoke everything into existence. So that's why everything is made up of vibrations. And uh, that was just a cool little side fact, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we have to confess. So God, I know this is something similar to what you would have said or someone who's a new believer would say. So in order to be saved, you would have to say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. I accept Jesus as my Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit and guide me throughout my life. I thank you for your life, Jesus, and now I give you mine. But how do you know that you're actually saved? All right, You said the prayer. You're like, all right, cool, I'm in, cool. But then you are always doubting it, right, until you know, you know. All right, So if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you are saved. However, if you just say the words but don't truly believe it, You will likely go back into your old ways of living and not even feel bad about it. And that's the difference. How do you actually know you're saved? You sin, and you actually feel remorse about what you've done. And you repent right away. There is no need to wait. Just repent right away. I know a lot of us, even with me, there'll be times I'll sin. Even when I'm doing it, I know it's a sin. And I'll sin and then i feel guilty like i can't just go straight to god i knew i was sinning and i still sin and it's like it's like no 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 it's like repent immediately okay so how do you know if you're truly saved all right you sin you repent okay there you go um if you are truly saved you sin um and you don't care Oh, how do you know if you're not truly saved? Sorry. I was like, why is this? I was like, this is contradicting. All right. You sin, and you don't care about what you've done against God, and you don't repent, and you don't ever turn back to God. So you know if you've sinned, or if you're saved because there's a heart change. When you commit a sin, you don't just like, ah, oh, that stinks. It's like, no, you feel just remorse and pain. You know that you were truly saved. If your heart has changed, you can no longer sin and be okay with it. It kills you to know that you defied God and hurts the heart of God. It breaks God's heart when you sin, and it should break yours too. Okay, so, that being said, just because you sin after you're saved does not mean that you lose your salvation. Okay? All right, so you believe in Jesus, is your, or you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you have confessed and accepted Him. And you are saved. Now what? (laughs) It's like, now what do you do? All right, so you're saved. Now what? Now that you are saved, it is time to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Okay? And this is all stuff that you could teach your, anyone you lead to salvation, they're going to be like, okay, now what do I do? So this is kind of in line with, okay, you need to know for yourself what is salvation, but you also need to know so that you can teach others about what it actually is and what to do with their salvation. So Titus 2:11 through 14 says, for the uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. All again, remember that all, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing or the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That was Titus 2, 11 through 14. So these next scriptures I'm reading, and I'm about to read a lengthy passage. This all, Essentially, like I, I was going to go through it, and I was going to pick it apart and show you the good stuff. I was like, man, this is all so good. I was like, i got to keep reading this. So I was like, I'm just going to read it all to him which why take it from my mouth when you can hear it from God. So the Bible says in Psalms 37, Psalm 37, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass they will soon wither, like the green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And uh, we've all heard Pastor Josh talk about, like, okay, he's going to give you the desires of the heart. Well, that doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. That means that he's going to give you the desires to desire. His desires will become your desires. Your desires will be aligned with his, and you will no longer have your own desires but his. Now it's a, oh, well, sorry, I'm about to jump ahead again. All right, commit, <laughs> commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and uh, turn from the wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Uh, For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who are Hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy the peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and the gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, and for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those who... Uh, whose ways are upright but their swords will pierce their own hearts and their bows will be broken better the little uh, little that the righteous have than the wealth of the many wicked for the power of the wicked will be broken but the Lord upholds the righteous the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever in time of disaster they will not wither in days of famine they will not err they will enjoy plenty but the wicked will perish. Through, uh, though the Lord's enemies are like the flowers of the field, they will be consumed. They will go up in smoke. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. The, those the Lord blesses will inherit the land, but those he cures will be destroyed. Or curses, sorry. <laughs> curses will be destroyed. <laughs> the Lord makes firm the steps of those who delight in him. Those he may, uh, though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the right, uh, righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. They, all, they are always generously and f- lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever, for the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Sorry, it's a lot, but if just think of this whole thing as like what to come next after salvation. Because essentially what I'm trying to get at, which we still have a little bit to go, um, is how to live your life after salvation. It's like don't fret. Don't um, live your life worrying about what wicked are doing. And it talks about how, yeah, you're going to see a lot of wickedness, but if you are in this world and resisting wickedness, don't worry. Their punishment will come. You will be lifted up for resisting the wicked. So wrongdoers will be completely destroyed. Their offspring of the wicked will perish. The righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak what is just. The law of their gods uh, in their heart and their feet do not slip. Uh, So that one's pretty good actually the I mean it's all good but so their tongues speak what is just I feel like today more than ever we have a tendency to easily speak what we think is right even though it might not be and we try to say things that are just in our in our mind but essentially we need to make sure that our words are aligned with God's will and if it's if it's harmful to others then it's Probably not what we should be saying, and we should watch what we're saying, because like we said before, that we have power in our tongues. Okay, as you can see through all these passages, those who are delight in the Lord, living accordance to his teachings and de- de- uh, dedicating themselves to them, will be cared for and delivered from evil, so much so that Jesus will give you the desires of your heart, meaning that he will replace your worldly desires with his you will start desiring good in all areas of your life and for all people, all people, not just your buddies. So, and you do notice that heart change when you are saved. All of a sudden, it goes from like, oh, I just don't like those people too, like your heart should hurt for them because they are not with God. Even if you don't like who they are, as a per- like you, you don't jive well with them or whatever, you should still care for them. You should still care for that they are lost. Your heart should break for them. And that's how you know that you're being transformed. is all of a sudden, all these people that you normally would just be mad at or hold a grudge against, it's like, oh, it hurts me that you're away from God. It hurts me that you don't have what I have. And if you did, I know you would be different. Not saying that you're better than them, but you, know you want what's good for their lives. So ideally, we would seek the Lord in any and everything, seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit on all decisions, big and small, and following his teachings to a T. However, it's very difficult, especially for new believers. How much time do I have? Five minutes? Whew. Oh, goodness. All right. However, salvation is, not in, er, salvation is instantaneous, but your transformation may take a while. Um, I've been saved for most of my life. And I'm still being transformed, <laughs> which I'm sure everyone is because no one's God. So, for some time or for some it happens instantly, but for others it may take a couple of years or even longer. It Could even take a lifetime. Um, I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to share this with you. Actually, I'm almost done. We can do this. We can do this. All right. Here is a passage from. John 15, 1 through 17, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard, uh, vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word of, that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides by the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That you bear much fruit and that so prove to my disciples, um, sorry, bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends you are my friends and if you do what I command you no longer uh, do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing but I have called you friends for all that I have or sorry for all that I have heard in my father I have made known in you you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask for in the name of the Father he may give it to you these things I command you so that you will love one another so this passage shows us that we are uh, who we are how we should live and our whole role in the kingdom we are to be fruit bearers and to love one another we are to live lives to honor God and we are to be disciple-makers. And not just that, we should be disciple-maker-makers. I did a whole class on this in uh, college that we are not to just make disciples, but we are make to make disciples who make disciples. Yeah. So we need to truly equip our children and our, the people we are discipling to be able to go in turn and make more disciples. So this is uh, crucial to all Christians, and all Christians should be disciple-makers, first within their own families, then the community. You're not going to be perfect, but if you try to stick to Christ's teachings and fall on Him all your days, He will be with you. So the last part is quick. Um, it's about, we're gonna close with this, it's can you lose your salvation? This is super quick, but super easy to understand. Okay, we've talked about what salvation is, who it's for, how to live your life after you've been saved. Um now we're going to s- see if you can actually lose your salvation cuz this is very uh I guess, what is that? Word taboo? Is that? I don't know what they call it word, but all right, so yeah, very there you go, controversial. And you may not agree with this, but this is the word, so sorry. All right, can you lose your salvation? If you are truly saved, truly saved, you can't lose your salvation because there is a spiritual change that act like cannot be undone. It cannot be undone. You're probably thinking of someone that has been saved and has fallen away and they likely never return. Now I understand that it could be frustrating because even I I have tons of people like that in my family and in my friendships and uh, it could be frustrating but what's uh, I got lost my But let me ask you this. Were they truly saved and transformed if they walked away from the faith of God? Were they truly saved if they walked away from the faith? I'm not saying they can't come back or that they won't. But if they never do, then they were never saved in the first place. Because you cannot turn your back on God once you've truly been transformed. Because it's not, uh, it is who you are. like You become God's. So you are a child of God, and you will never turn your back on what he did for you and, and what he means to you. So can you learn, lose your salvation? The answer is no. Can you uh, say the prayer and never really change your heart or your ways or be transformed? Yes. You could say whatever you want and not actually believe it. But you'll know if you're truly saved if your heart's changed. And you will never turn back on God if you're truly saved. Those who walk away, they've never truly tasted who God is and what he has done for you. Because if you're truly saved, you cannot, you can't. Like, it's part of who you are. You cannot turn your back on God. So just for the fact that you guys are in here, be (laughs) stoked. All right. So you have homework, right? Okay. So you guys have any questions I know it's a lot of information a lot of, really quick and I did a lot of scripture reading because I feel it's important to include scripture because otherwise I'm just making stuff up um, but this is just a foundation quick little lesson to show you who what when where why salvation and can you truly lose it and all that so if you have any questions you can ask me, but I would ask the Lord before me because he knows more than I do, <laughs> okay? And you can do that by researching in the Bible and all the amazing resources that we're gonna provide to you. you. Or at least present to you, not provide. I, I can't buy that, I'm a teacher, I don't make enough money. <laughs> all right, Pastor all right. Tandarai. Thanks so much. Sorry it so fast and so like, <laughs> so much at once. Thank you.
0: Can okay, we need to give it up, on Mr. Justin? Yeah. OK, I am going to try and be very quick. OK, so that I can be respectful of your time. So to those that don't know me, uh, my name is Pastor. <laughs> Do you want to switch, switch with me? Thanks. Sorry, Okay, so here we go. Okay, my name is Pastor Tondarai, and um, I'm the pastor here of a new song, um, Answers, which is our missions, cares, outreach initiative, and I'm also um, uh, heading the discipleship classes that we're having here. So I'm gonna try and be real quick because I've got a lot to cover in a short time to get there. Right. So, <laughs> no, don't worry about it, you did great. So, I've got to, and, and, and yeah, and I need a board, and I don't know if this will take me there. Okay, can you bring the board closer to me? Yeah, there you go. Okay, so the currency of the Christian life, the currency of the Christian life, you understand currency, right, as in money. So how we translate the way we do things in this world, we use money as a currency to exchange and to communicate to the currency of the Christian life. Yeah, it's good. The currency of the Christian life is Okay, so then the question that has to then be asked immediately is, what is? Okay, I, I, I will need feedback. <laughs> if, you, then, if you leave me alone, I, I will feel like I'm swimming alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so the question is, what is faith? Right? So that then becomes the question. And what normally is answered is this. Hebrews 11.1. 1. And who knows what Hebrews 11.1 1 says? Yes, James. Okay. Vice versa. The substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Okay? So the substance... of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. That is what you're going to get most times when you ask for the definition of faith. Substance speaks to matter, tangibility. Okay? So when you're dealing with substance, it, it, is, it is form, it is, it is tangible. It's like, it's like matter. Evidence deals with a body of information that leads to validity of matter or of the matter. Put together, substance is something that's tangible, and then evidence is a body of information that tells us whether a thing is correct or true or not, okay? Like, even if you look at the investigation stuff, when they're looking at the evidence, what they're doing is they're gathering information, and then that information is going to help them to translate whether what they're seeing is true or false. So faith is substance. In other words, it has tangibility, and it is also evidence, in other words, is the body of information that tells us the validity or the truth of the substance. Are you following with me? Okay, so faith is not abstract. It is, it is not a myth. It's not something that just flies in the air. The basis from which faith is built is information. You cannot just have faith Without knowing. Popular scripture. Faith comes by? And hearing the? Okay, so faith is not going to come by a vision. Faith is not going to come by a feeling. Faith is not going to come by experience. Even though all these things can also help to translate faith. But what we're doing with all these things is gathering the information that gives us the validity of the matter. Are we together? Okay, so, and um, you have this thing here where people will say, you know, they believe in God. You know, I'm believing God for a healing or I'm believing God for a breakthrough in my life. And sometimes it's almost as if a closing of the eyes and I'm really hoping, really begging that God's going to come through for me. And then they don't see a healing or they don't see the breakthrough. And oftentimes we think the problem is that. I didn't have enough. There's a break in my faith or there's a break in my belief. Because the struggle is not going to be mostly in God's goodness. God is? And all the time? Right. So we all believe that. We never struggle with that. So whenever I don't see the manifestation of the thing that God has promised or has said... Oftentimes, we feel like it is my fault that I didn't have enough faith. But I want to put it to you that the problem is not so much that you didn't have enough faith, but your faith was based on the incorrect information. So you were stuck in believing a thing that was based out of an incorrect understanding or an incorrect information of truth. And so... I believe that the church, not New Song, but the church as a whole, the struggle is to always constantly look at that without addressing this. Okay? Let's look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Daniel, you're my guy. Colossians chapter 1, and I want you to read verse 4 out loud so that even this mic can pick it up. No, chapter 1, verse 4. Okay, since we've heard of your... So they heard, Paul has heard about the faith of the Colossians. So that's what he's writing about. He's saying, you guys are awesome. You have this great faith. But now that he's heard about their great faith, what is he going to write? Read verse 9. Now, for this reason we also- okay, for this reason, what reason? He heard- the great faith. So for the reason that we've heard of your great faith... So, he didn't say, since we've heard of your great faith, we're praying, this is the word, understanding, wisdom, and knowledge, okay? So he didn't say, since we've heard of your great faith, I'm praying that your faith will just stand. He didn't say that, we, I'm praying that your faith would increase. But what he prayed for, knowledge, wisdom, and spiritual understanding, okay? So, information is, is, is what we have. So, so knowledge, okay? is the gathering of information, right? Knowledge is the gathering of the said information. Understanding is the interpretation of the information that I now know. Track with me. Knowledge is the gathering of information. Understanding is the translation of the information that I now know. And wisdom is the application of the understood information which leads to life and godliness. That is what faith is built upon. That is what faith is built upon. So faith is not built upon a feeling or an abstract thing or the fact that I've seen angels or the fact that I want—I just want a miracle, right? People say, I just want a miracle. I'm just believing God for a miracle. Well, you can believe God for a miracle and it will never happen You'll never ex- experience it. But the problem is not that you don't have faith. Obviously, you do have faith that God can do miracles. But the problem is either the knowledge that you have is, not, is messed up or your understanding of that knowledge is messed up, or after you have understanding, you're not applying it or following through, and then you don't see the breakthrough. Okay. Who in here believes God is a giver? Okay, I'm just making sure. For the record, on this tape, everybody's hands went up. Okay. So, so here's the thing. I believe God is a giver. A scripture was read earlier on. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. There are people who would argue that scripture and say, hey, we begged for bread. And the people who would argue and say, I've been in want and in need and have never seen God give. So what's happening there? I'm believing God to give and he's never given. So here's the thing. The Bible says, give and it will be. So I know that God is a giver because the promise is not handed down in my hands. I have to receive that promise or to receive the thing that God is. Like God is a giver. So for me to receive that giving, I have to have. But faith is built upon. So I know that in order for me to get, the Bible says I need to be a. So if I'm not a giver and I just stand and say, God. I'm believing for you to give me, I might never get. So me standing and saying, God, I'm just believing. I'm just going to sit at home and wait there because you're a giver. You're going to give it to me. Right? And I'm never experiencing it. And I think, ah, this thing is frustrating. Oh, God, is isn't the person who he says he is. The problem is not that I don't have faith that he can give. The problem is in my knowledge and my understanding so true faith would know I need to seek the understanding the key the principle that I can stand in it and therefore experience the breakthrough so it's not abstract it's not it's not hold the Bible up and open it up and and say I'm putting my hand on the Bible and things are going to happen that's not faith so even when you see murderers put their hand said there's no truth nothing but the truth out There's no transference of any spiritual significance that happens in that interaction that causes somebody to speak truth. Because faith is not a mythical thing. Faith is substance. Which means it can be sought, it can be learned, and you don't increase necessarily in faith. You increase your knowledge, your understanding, and your wisdom, and thereby your faith grows. We're together. So that's what I want us to understand. That we have to grow in our knowledge of the information that tells us the truth about God. And then once we have the knowledge, we have to seek understanding. That's what the Bible says. In all you're getting, get understanding. Because once you have the understanding, the wisdom is almost inevitable. Unless you're just straight up bad terrible that's just yeah then god gives you over to your stuff (laughs) and then your stuff destroys you because what is known about god is plain to you but you're not going to revere or worship god as god so god gave them over right romans okay so that's the building block that we want to understand so faith is the basis of all things okay we've heard another popular scripture right Daniel I'm going to need you on this board pretty soon okay john 1010 10. what does john 1010 10 say i'm so proud right now yes the thief comes to kill and okay what is he coming to still kill and destroy okay oftentimes i thought man when my car, I'm driving along and whistling that holy, holy song that I like to whistle, and then my tire just goes, and I have to control my car and get on the side, and I say, "Man, the devil's attacking me!" Right? Devil's after my car. Devil's after my house. Devil's after my finances because I've eaten too many times at McDonald's, and all of a sudden I don't have money for rent. So the devil's after my finances. The devil's after this. The devil's after that. The devil. Doesn't care about my shoes or about my house. He doesn't care about all those things. What is the devil trying to get from me? Let's go to Luke chapter twenty-two. Luke chapter twenty two, Daniel. Luke chapter twenty two. Okay. Okay, Luke chapter twenty-two, verses thirty-one and thirty-two. Go. Yes. Yes. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Okay. And when you have turned back strength in your brother. Okay. Right. I have prayed for you. So the devil is trying to sift you as wheat, but what did he pray for? His faith would be able to stand. Okay? His faith will be able to stand. So the devil's not after your possession. The devil is after your faith. The devil is after your faith. Because again, if he can get your faith, then everything else is going to fall apart. Because we, what did we say at the beginning? Faith is the currency of Christianity. Without faith, the Bible says, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible to please him without faith. Okay, so we're going to look at this and how faith then is the basis from which everything is built upon. Not abstract, not feeling, not not close your eyes and hope for the best type information, but actually substantiative living. So whenever you are struggling with a thing, what you're going to look for is the word or the principle about that thing. And when you find one You keep looking until you get the full picture of what that principle is. Because this is what the Bible says. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my will remain. So he's even staking heaven and earth. Saying heaven and earth, even though we think, oh, heaven is a place I want to be. I want to be in the presence of God and Jesus and heavenly places. Great. But that can pass away. Earth. May pass away. But the one thing he says will always remain is his word. And it is within the confines of his word that we understand everything about God. People say, well, if God is all-powerful, why doesn't he just whoosh and stop all the diseases and the bad things that are happening? That tells me that person has no faith. Because if you understand the framework from which God is working, all-powerful works within the confines of his word. He cannot go against his word. And so the thing is, it's set in process. Because if they're true that God could just do anything he wanted, the moment Adam fell or Eve fell, he could have just said, Ah let me just fix this. Boom, and fix it. Why didn't he? Because it went against his word. So therefore, in order for me to walk victoriously in faith, what do I need to know? His Second Peter, chapter one. Do you have it? Yes. Okay. Second Peter, chapter one, verse three. I'm going to try, Justin. I'm going to try. Okay. Second Peter one and 13. This is the basis of the class that you have, right? It says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. How does this life and godliness come? Okay. Thank you. His divine power has given us ev- everything. Okay, not some things, right? Okay and what's the Greek word for all? What's the Greek what's the Hebrew word for all? And what's the English word for all? Okay. It's the same in my language too. All means all. So his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. If I stop here, will I access it? So which means I have access to everything pertaining to and being holy or walking in true godliness but the reason i never get there would be a lack of that's what builds faith that's what builds faith so his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him christ who gave up his life. How does it read? Justin, help me now. Through our knowledge of him who called us. Of
1: the nature, that is the world of his
0: okay. Right. So... His promise is going to be accessed through Him. And how do you access this promise through Him? It is in the... So I put it to you, any area of life that we can struggle in, any place that things look difficult, to work on your faith is not to close your eyes even harder or to ignore facts. It is to work on your knowledge of him. This world is run by this principle. Cause and effect. To every effect, there's a cause, and the cause creates an effect. And the system then creates a system of deserving. So you either deserve... A benefit or a consequence? I didn't spell consequence right for the record, so figure it out and help me. Okay. A benefit and a consequence. That's the principle of the world. But then there's this thing here called grace. So the Bible says the wages of sin is right. That means cause and effect, benefit or consequence. And the way we even translate the things in life, I don't have as much wealth as James Rainey has because I've not worked as hard as he has. So therefore, I don't deserve the benefit. I'm always doing the things that I shouldn't do, and so bad things come my way, so therefore I get the consequence and sometimes you get both right some people will say well might as well get the i want the benefit so i'll just deal with the consequence when it comes right but grace puts spanners into the works because then the devil comes and what the devil is coming to do is to talk to you about cause and effect benefit and consequence well you don't deserve that miracle to happen because you remember what you did last wednesday The pastor said, raise your hand in church. Remember, you didn't in that bad place. Maybe that's why the blessing isn't coming. Because you don't deserve it. You don't deserve salvation. Because look at how horrid you are. Look at the thoughts that occupy your mind. It's just Sunday. (laughs) Wait until we get to Friday. And you think that you're going to get God's goodness? You don't because he's speaking to you on this. But grace says, here's a gift that you don't deserve. But in order for me to access this grace, I need to have. Because if I don't know about this grace, then I live in a constant place. We live in a constant place where we're struggling with this. I don't care where you are at. Let the wheat and the tur grow together so because you are in this world this is always going to be a constant battle your mind is going to always try and tell you you don't deserve this was not for you this is bad this is never going to happen you didn't put enough time you didn't put enough hours you're abandoning your children you're not doing this right and telling you all the things that are wrong so that you're stuck on benefit and consequence and the reason why we would say hey Get into the Word a lot more. Read the Bible. Listen to gospel stuff. Listen to stuff that talks about truth. It's so that you increase and have the opportunity to have to cut across this. So we're not just saying, so when you hear people say, get in the Word more. Read the Bible. It's not just, just increase your faith. You need the knowledge. Because if faith could be increased just by standing still and raising our hands, then it will be easy to access because even the raising of hands requires for me to have faith. And so that's why this is very important. Okay, so back to Second Peter. Okay, so his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Okay, where did you leave off? Okay, stop. All right. So, immediately, I've got like five minutes. So, I'll give you all I can give you in five minutes. Like I told you, I've got a lot to cover in a short time to get there. So, faith, I need somebody to erase this. Faith is the basis, the foundation. So, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And he's going through the whole scripture. And then he says, on top of faith. Add virtue. Right? There is no virtue without the basis of faith. What is virtue? Moral uprightness. So I cannot have moral uprightness without faith. And faith is born out of what? Knowledge and understanding. We're together. So which means that... If I have the incorrect knowledge and the incorrect understanding, I actually cannot have true virtue. Because then the world will try and tell me what is moral and what isn't. The world will try to tell me that the words that I'm speaking are wrong. They're hurtful. And I need to watch what I say. I need to watch what I do. I need to watch how I act around certain people. Because they're coming from a different understanding. But I have the understanding of what the word of God says, and from there it has given me faith. And from that faith, I built virtue. So I now know what virtue is, what moral uprightness is. right? And that the thing builds on. From virtue, knowledge, right? Okay, So what does that tell me? Because this thing is building on itself. In order for me to have the true knowledge, I've got to have virtue, moral uprightness. It is moral uprightness to study the Word of God. Moral is not just, I opened the door, I didn't lie, and all that stuff. Reading the Scripture, getting into the depth of the Scripture, it's built from moral uprightness, right? Good habits. You following me? And then, on knowledge, what is it? Self-control, okay? And the reason why, from knowledge is self-control, what does knowledge do? It puffs up, right? Knowledge puffs up. Once I know and understand, I feel like I'm matey and better than the peasants because of the information that I have, right? It's easy to get puffed up because of the things that you know. And then you start looking at people and saying, look at these idiots that don't understand what's going on. Because I know. They don't. But self-control says, when I see these so-called idiots, that the harvest is plenty. It doesn't look and say, idiots. Somebody needs to help them. Knowledge with self-control says, man, the harvest is plenty. I need to continue to pray that God would send harvesters. And then what happens with self-control? What is it, brotherly love? Steadfastness. There you go. Okay, steadfast. Now that I have self-control, I remain unmoved. I'm not easily movable. I'm not thrown to and fro by every wind of doctrine because I know the thing that I know. And now I have self-control. I'm not girded in pride. And so it's not easy for you to just come and just throw a thing at me, throw a wrench at me, and get me to move off. And then after steadfastness, steadfastness is what? Godliness. Okay? Now, because I am now steadfast, I get to walk in true godliness. Because I'm not in faith sometimes, out of faith sometimes. I'm doing right sometimes. I'm not doing right sometimes. But I'm building from faith. And then after godliness, okay, brotherly affection. We'll call it BA. Okay? Brotherly affection. And then now I begin to love my brothers, I begin to have care for my brothers. I begin to see the hurt in my brothers, and I want to be there to help, to heal. I discover the, God, the gifts that God has put in my life. And through that, I want to be able to make an effect and change what is happening to my brothers and sisters. And then from there, it's love, right? And not love as in, I love you, honey, right? Not love as in, I love chocolate chip, But love as in, for God so loved the world. Then I create a place in which I experience, which we'll talk about in the class later on, agape love, which is the God kind of love. And because it builds upon that. So now do you understand, because once you remove this, the whole thing, So why would Satan not be after your faith? So everything that we experience, everything that we see, all of it is questioning your your faith. And when you find yourself in a haze, when you find yourself in a haze, you're not sure, you're uncertain, and you're questioning, along with those that have questioned you, That's where you've got to go back to the drawing board. To knowledge. Because that is what helps me build my faith. So somebody comes up with the most, the thing that you go, you know what, that actually makes sense. I'm beginning to know, does it it really work? We prayed and we believed for healing and we didn't see any healing. So maybe God doesn't heal. Or maybe God doesn't have a desire to heal. Okay? The moment that is being attacked to question the validity of who God is, you better go back. What did I miss in the information that I have? Where is it that I'm lost here? What's my information saying? Because, again, the promises are here. They're not handed to me. I have got to take hold of them by faith. So the reason I'm not experiencing that promise is because that's been attacked. And to build it back up, it is always going to be knowledge and understanding and wisdom. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us, this chance to just dive into your word. And I pray that we uh, go deeper, even from here, that uh, this has just caused us to get excited about salvation, to get excited about faith and Desire to say, hey, I want to go deeper. I want, I want to get to know these things, these principles. I want to go back into my life and the experiences that I've had. And I think I might have missed it. So I need to go again into the word and, and just make sure I'm, I'm seeing the things that I need to see so that I can have true success. You've said in your word, do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. Then you will have prosperity and success And so, Father, we just thank you that you will give to us the heart and the desire to go hunting in your word, to go searching, and to have a hunger. We thank you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I hope your notebooks are full. I know mine was getting full on the salvation part. Yeah, I was like, man, I had notes. What happened to my notes? Okay, so you do have homework that I would like to invite you to be a participant of and it's going to be on page 6 and that's the questions that you're going to answer. Now, when you get there, please just go ahead and answer those questions for us. And please share your answers at discipleshipnewsongpeople.com. And that is actually on the first page of the book. When you look at the class outline, it shows you where the email is. And uh, ju- and if you have any questions for uh, Justin or myself, you can put them in that email, and they'll get to us and we'll respond to them. Or for me, I mean, if you see me around, stop me in the hallway and let's have a chat. I'm sure. Justin is okay with being stopped and asked questions, too, if you have any questions. But dig deeper, dive in there, and get to know what the Word of God says. Amen? All right. You guys have a wonderful day. You are so welcome.